here's the thing. As I was thinking about Resurrection Sunday and this morning and this opportunity that we would have to gather together to celebrate Jesus and the work that he did on the cross and, and the resurrection and celebrate that, uh, as I was pondering all that, I actually happened to be in Poland uh, when I had an opportunity to sit down and process what I wanted to share this morning. During a little bit of extended time of stillness there, I just kind of was prayerfully thinking about Resurrection Sunday. I was thinking about this day. And I, and I got to spend a lot of time while I was there with refugees and hear their stories and to see their faces and the difficulties. But I also got to see joy in the life of brothers and sisters who you wouldn't think would have a lot of joy. I got to see the church and them pour out their lives for these people. I got to see a brother and spend time with a brother who was getting constant firsthand reports from his personal friends in the Ukraine near some of the hardest parts of the war. And I kept thinking about this day and the celebration that it should be. And here's the thing, it was amazing. I wasn't alone. I got to go to be and see a ministry there. It's actually the same ministry that we're going to be partnering with and sending a whole bunch of teams to, at least three, um, in the next month or so, which I'll communicate more about that. But I got to talk to the leaders, and they were so excited because year after year, they get to do this uh, kind of passion play. It's a live moment where they set up stations about Jesus's last week of life, similar to the ones that you see on the side here of the sanctuary. And the whole goal is to lead the people of that village and their churches. And, and this year, the refugees, which they were so excited to share through their village to see the, the work of Jesus Christ in that last week, ultimately leading them to a 14th century church where they would celebrate the resurrection. And these people, even though they were absolutely exhausted working with refugees, couldn't stop talking about how excited they were to do this event, this Jerusalem road is what they called it, and, and to be able to share with them the hope of the resurrection. One moment that stuck out in my mind. As we were walking to our car, we were actually heading to the airport, and, and we were, it was the end of my week there, and, and we walked by uh, the, the church area where they had been doing photocopies for people as they were coming to try to get passports and documents and all kinds of different things, and there was this woman who was sitting outside, and she was probably in her low 40s, and she was sitting there in 35-degree temperatures just staring straight in front of her. And I don't know if you've ever seen a stare. like This is not a stare like... Uh, like she just spaced out and she's daydreaming. This is a stare of exhaustion and a stare that comes from trauma, a stare that comes from difficulty and fear and, and concern and all kinds of different things, shock and confusion. And as we walked by, my missionary friend, Nian, like he saw her and he just got tears in his eyes. And he just walked up to her and he asked her in Polish, because I obviously don't know Polish. And so he asked her, like, are you okay? And she just kind of came out of her stare and she looked at him and she gave this little faint smile and she said, yeah, thanks for asking. And Jan just uh, did the only thing that he could do and he just grabbed her and, and he gave her a huge hug. And you could just see it brighten up her day. And, and then we left because I had to go to the airport and I, I couldn't help as we were leaving that moment thinking, does she have the hope of the resurrection? Does, she, does the resurrection have and hold hope for her in the midst of this really difficult, hard, and dark moment? Does this hope exist for her? Does it exist for her husband and, and for her kids? Does, does the resurrection really hold hope for you and for me and for those of you who are watching online? Does the resurrection hold hope for us today in 2022? 
I think it does. I absolutely believe it does. And the truth is, I left Poland being reminded that though I think it's really easy for many of us to see today as just another Resurrection Sunday, I believe it should be anything but just another Resurrection Sunday. Because the resurrection is everything. It means everything, or at least it should mean everything to us. And the hope that the resurrection holds should, and it can, be life-changing for every single person in this room and listening online. If you're here this morning, and you've become numb to the reality of the resurrection, my prayer for you this morning is that the Lord might fan into flame that which you may remember from years ago, the kind of joy and hope in the resurrection that stirred you to want to give your life to Jesus in the first place. That's my prayer. If you're here this morning and you don't even believe in the resurrection, then listen, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. If you haven't even heard about Jesus' resurrection in the way we're going to talk about it today, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. And my prayer for you as you listen to the things we're going to talk about is that you might find the hope that is there for you, even if you're not looking for it. Because you may not be here looking for that hope. You may be here because you were drug along or because you were invited or whatever. You may be here because you're just here with your parents or your grandparents. And you may not even be looking for hope, but I pray you find it anyway. Because there is so much hope in the resurrection. When we truly grasp what happened all of those years ago, there is nothing that can carry us and give us hope and peace, even through the most difficult of times. There is nothing that can support and deepen your joy in the happiest of times like the resurrection. And so... I want us to look at the resurrection from a little bit of a different perspective this morning, in this wonderful Easter morning. And so I want you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Uh, Brian Doom is going to come up and read for us. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. If you're new to Central or you're new to church, uh, the reason why we're standing is we be because we believe that what we are about to read is the very Word of God that he has revealed it to us, uh, that, that we need to put our lives underneath it, and so we stand in respect for it. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, listen, you can read these up on the screen, but afterwards I would highly, deeply encourage, I would ask you to grab one of our free Bibles that are outside by our Info Central. Nobody will ask you any questions. Just grab one, take it home, and read it. But nonetheless, we're going to turn our attention now to the very Word of God. Brian, I'll pass it off to you, brother. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I say this out of Isaiah 40 as a reminder for us. Church, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text that reminds us what our hope is. A hope that we have secure because Jesus, your son, rose from the dead. He defeated death. And there's going to be a day, Father, that we will be able to declare, like this text says, where, O death, is your victory. Not because we've been victorious, but because you have been victorious, because Jesus has been victorious over death. And so, Father, I pray this morning, I do not have words that can give due and justice to the wonder of the resurrection of your Son. So I need you, by your Spirit, to fan into flame all of us a zeal and a love and a joy for the work that you have done in Jesus. We need your spirit to open up eyes and hearts to, 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 to see the wonder of what you have done in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray, Father, uh, that you would speak through me just a weak and a broken vessel. I ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right. So before we get to 1 Corinthians, I want us to remember the circumstances of Resurrection Weekend and the Passion Week and all that we've been talking about the past few weeks. Remember, Jesus is a real historic man. Just like I stand here before you, Jesus stood before countless people over and over and over again some 2,000 years ago. And this man, this Jesus, this historical man that nobody argues was alive and existed, he was brutally murdered and killed upon the cross. This is a fact that nobody denies. Like everybody says, like the Jesus, this man existed, and he died upon a cross. And all of his fathers, or followers, had walked through the darkest moments of doubt and fear and questions while Jesus' body lay cold and lifeless in the tomb. It must have been a crazy time. Because like we talked about last week, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. And even after they did, they didn't believe it at first. And who could blame them? I don't think many of us would believe it at first. We'd be like, okay, something's way off here. But his, Jesus' new life-filled body was right there in front of them. Eating with them, touching them. He was talking with them, spending time with them. No hallucination could pass us off. Like, it's amazing that Jesus invited the disciples to touch him because Hallucinations don't do that. And it's amazing that it wasn't just one person that saw Jesus, but the scriptures say that it was hundreds upon hundreds of people who saw Jesus after he died and after he was raised. And they, like the disciples, like the followers of Jesus, they touched him, they saw him, they experienced him. There's no hallucination that account for this. There's no mistaken identity. Like it was really Jesus. And some would say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross, and there he was. He appeared before the disciples. Listen, if you know anything about crucifixion, 
You don't get up from a crucifixion just a few days later acting like everything's okay. It was horrible, and it was brutal, and it was awful. And yet, a few days after his death, Jesus appears. And a few days after that, after he had appeared to Mary and the other women and the disciples, we come to a moment when Jesus ascends into heaven. So he brings his 11 friends, and he goes to Galilee, and he tells them to meet him upon a mountain, a mountain which Jesus directed them to. And when they saw him, they must have been full of awe because Matthew chapter 28 tells us that they worshiped Jesus on that mountain. So they worshiped Jesus, but it's amazing because Matthew 28 also says that they had doubt there. And I don't know what that doubt was. I'm sure that their minds were still full of questions and concerns and not knowing exactly what was going to take place. But nonetheless, there he was, Jesus standing before them, something they'd never expected. A dead man in front of them in full flesh, nail-scarred hands, nail-scarred feet, a man they had been eating with and talking with over the past several days. And Jesus tells them to do something. He goes and tells them to go and make disciples. And if you're not familiar with that term, it means followers of him. To go out into the world and make followers just like he had done with these men to all nations. These men were to tell people that a man had died and risen from the grave. How would you like that assignment? Like, go tell everybody that someone died, was buried, and was dead for three days, and he rose from the grave. That's your assignment. Go and tell everybody that. And that he's now gone up to heaven, and that all that had happened in those days had been God's plan. That God saw our sin, that he saw our brokenness, and he knew that we needed to be reconciled to him And so he sent his son to die upon the cross to take our debts upon his shoulders. And that he then died and rose from the dead, winning for us a victory over death to a whole new kind of hope, a hope that had never existed before in all of histories. Listen, if you know the history of the Christian faith, you know that these scared, doubtful, worshipful, men and women went throughout the entire world proclaiming this truth. A man died. He took on his shoulders the weight of my sin and he went into the grave and he rose again. They proclaimed this to tremendous fruit. It's the reason why we're sitting here this morning 2,000 years later. But they also proclaimed this at tremendous cost to themselves, tremendous sacrifice to themselves, tremendous persecution to themselves. If you know the disciples' stories, all of them were killed and martyred because of what they said was true in Jesus Christ, except for one. They had tremendous cost. Have you ever considered what hope would help those men face all of that difficulty? And can that hope carry us to such places with boldness and the same kind of hope as well. Well, here's the thing, if you think about it, we all know what drove them. There's only one explanation for all that God did in the world 2,000 years ago. The explanation is this, a dead man was alive. 
And because of that, they had proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is something after all of this. And so they could face death without fear because they'd seen it beaten already. Imagine that. Imagine being Peter or Matthew or John and having someone threaten them with death. They had seen death defeated. That's why it didn't work for them. And in all of our weakness and all of our brokenness and pain and suffering and all that we experience in this world, there is a real hope to be had for a further and continued life after this one. And brothers and sisters, it is a far better life than anything we have experienced in this world. And that is the hope that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That when all is said and done, and Jesus comes back again, all who have put their faith in him, both those who have gone asleep, in other words, those that have passed away, those who have died, and those who are still living in that moment, all of us will be changed. He says it twice in verse 51 and in verse 52. Have you ever thought about like changed to what? This is a big question, isn't it? Like, we've talked about this multiple times. Like, are we going to be given wings? Are we going to be turned into little chubby babies that float around in heaven or the rest of eternity and sing songs? Like, what are we going to be changed into? Changed into some formless spirits? I mean, this is a huge question. In fact, we have to even ask the question, is the life to come better than the one that we've experienced in this life? How many of you enjoy life? Kids, how many of you are looking forward to candy and food today? Like, life is good. But listen, the life to come is so much better. And that's absolutely the case. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees that. And so what is it that we're going to be changed into? Now, I give away my age a little bit, <clears throat> but I grew up in the 90s. How many of you are 90s kids? Okay, so you guys and gals, you're going to probably know this, but there was a commercial in the 90s that was all over the place and that commercial was a Gatorade commercial. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to actually sing it. I need Ryan up here. In fact, if he could come and sing and dance for us again, that would be great. Um, but here's what the commercial said. Sometimes I dream that he is me. I dream I move. I dream I groove. Like Mike. Michael Jordan, right? Like we all knew that growing up. Like if I could be like Mike, I want to be like Mike. And I just want to tell you as a kid, like, that was what I wanted to do. Anybody who played basketball, you wanted to be like Michael Jordan. We wanted to buy his shoes. We wanted to act like him. We wanted to play like basketball on the court like him. And I just want you to tell, I'm not bragging, I kind of am, but I got really close on a six-foot basketball goal. Right, right? Any of you kids, like, you knew you'd never touch the rim of a 10-foot goal, and so you would lower that thing down to six feet, and man, you could dunk on everybody. Right? Like, like, this is what it was. Now, here's the thing. I say that because even as a kid in the 90s, like, what drove me is I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Like, that was one of the things that I, I love. I like watching him and, and seeing that. But interestingly enough, I think the disciples, those men on that mountain, sang a very similar song. Sometimes I dream. I dream that I move and I dream that I groove like Jesus, like Christ. If I could be like Jesus, if I could be free of death, if I could be free of pain, if I could be free of sin, free of longing, free of brokenness, if I could just be like Jesus. And you know what? They knew that was the hope he had promised them. 
that they would be like him in a resurrection just like his. This drove them. It drove the way they viewed everything, the way they addressed every situation. It drove the purposes in their life. It's the only thing that explains what they did and how they lived after that day. Every one of the followers of Jesus could have chosen a far easier life. They could have gone back home, and none of them did, because they believed so much that there was a promise that they would be like Jesus if they just followed him. They knew what was ahead of them. This is exactly what our hope can be. John, one of the disciples, writes this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, now you got to stop there. John had seen Jesus alive. John had seen Jesus go up into heaven. Does this sound like a man who didn't expect Jesus to come back again? It's like when he appears again, when he appears, we shall be like him. Because it will, we shall see him as he is. And all of 1 Corinthians was telling us that that's exactly what was going to happen. That all of this perishable flesh that we live in is going to be transformed to be like his resurrected self. We will be like him. Just like him. Risen. Complete body, complete soul. And I want to take just a couple of seconds to consider what Jesus' resurrection was like. What the post-resurrected Jesus was like. First, he was visible. Yeah, that's a big deal, isn't it? Like, he was visible. You could see him. He wasn't some spirit. Like You could see Jesus. Just like you can see me standing on this stage right now. Just like you can see your mothers and your fathers and your, your brothers and your sisters. Like You could see Jesus. That's amazing. He was real. He was also physical. I love how he says, here, here, touch me. I'm flesh and I'm bone. He's not some hallucination. He has he's skin and, and I, I don't know how that makes you feel. But just imagine the fact that we will all be flesh and bone in the new earth. Lately, You'll be able to go up to Jesus, and, and I'm not much of a hugger, most of you know that, which means I just said that, so a bunch of you are going to try to hug me after the service. But nonetheless, like I'm not much of a hugger, but I cannot wait to hug the flesh and bone Jesus. You're going to be able to see the flesh and bone men and women that have gone on before us. So if you've lost somebody, you haven't lost them fully. They will be flesh and bone, just like he was. And you will be able to see them. Jesus was mentally aware. Matthew 28, 18 talks about this. He, he remembers the commands that he had given them. He recognizes people. Like, here's the thing. Like, you're going to recognize the people that you're around. I'm going to get to see my grandparents, physical, flesh and bone. I'm going to get to see my great-grandpa, Louis Acker, who died when he was 104 years old, and I'm going to get to see him. 
I don't know how I'm going to recognize him because all I remember about my great-grandfather was a really old man. But I'm going to recognize him. I'm going to remember these things. I'm going to see these things. Because Jesus was able to do that. He was mentally aware. He was recognizable. I said that already. He eats and he drinks. Hey, guys, give me some bread. I'm hungry. Hey, I'm making breakfast for you this morning. He eats and he drinks. Like Some of you guys have planned a phenomenal resurrection Sunday meal with I don't know what, turkey, ham, all kinds of good stuff. Kids, you're looking forward to candy and and pies and sugar and all kinds of good things. Listen, none of that is anything as good as what we will experience in the new earth. Like, we're going to eat and drink, and it's going to be good. And we're going to do it with one another. We're going to do it with our brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone before us. And we're going to do it with Jesus. We're going to eat and drink. I think that's great. Like, sometimes we don't think about that, do we? Like, the world to come is going to be better than the one we have here. Jesus is spiritual. Now, this is a weird one. It might seem kind of strange to you, but in a whole new way, Jesus, in his resurrected body, acts different than we can right now, right? So, like, he's walking along a road with some of his followers, and then he just up and vanishes out to somewhere else. He walks through doors. Kids, how many of you want to be able to walk through doors? How many of you would like to be able to teleport to some other part of the city right now? Like, that'd be cool, right? Like, Jesus can do that. And we're going to be like him. So there's something in the new heaven and the new earth that allows spirit and body to come together that we can be like him in these types of things. I mean, this is exciting things. But even most important and best, Jesus is perfect. In that day, we will be without sin. We will be without the brokenness that's inside of us. We will be without all of the accompanying curses that come with sin. All of the hurts, all the the difficulty in this world, all of it is going to go away. In fact, we will be able to stand before the Father with no separation. And this is the beauty of Revelation and what it says. Jesus is going to bring heaven back to earth. We're going to live in a world like that where there's no separation between us and God. And what's even cooler is there's not going to be any separation or shame or deceit between each other. Like, how cool is that going to be? That you're going to be able to have relationships with people with nothing between you. No hidden secrets. No misunderstandings. No miscommunication. No wrong motives. Like, a complete open knownness. If you are lonely, there is nothing like the resurrection that should give you hope for what is to come. If you feel like you are not known, there is nothing like the resurrection that should give you hope for what is to come because we will be perfect just like Jesus. And this is amazing. And the disciples, they saw this vision. They caught this vision of what was to come. And so they were willing to die for it. This message, because their hope was not founded on some myth, but it was founded upon a personal experience with the, G, with the risen Jesus. I mean, don't you think that Peter, who later on in his life was threatened with being crucified upside down, don't you think 
that if he had not actually seen and touched and held on to the flesh and bone Jesus, that he would have said in that moment, hold on, time out, I recant it all. But he didn't because he knew what was coming. And so you may be in this room, you may doubt the resurrection. And that's why we have the blood of the disciples to remind us they knew what was true. And they held on to it. None of them denied the resurrection of their Savior and the resurrection of their Lord. Like theirs, our hope can be real because he has proven it so in the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then the scripture is really clear. You and me who believe in it should be pitied above all men. That's what it says. But he did rise to an existence unlike anything better than anything we could ever hope for. And when he comes back, even if he comes back before we die, this mortal flesh is going to be dressed with immortality, something totally uncorrupted, something totally uncorruptible. And we are going to be given a new earth, which is totally uncorruptible. In that moment and after, all of those that have gone before him, all of those that are still alive, are going to be dressed in bodies like his. And in that moment, brothers and sisters, we are going to cry out in the greatest song 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Death, man, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? How many of you believe that? How many of you really believe that? I want you to say it out loud with me. Read it on the screen. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We're going to say that one day. We won't say that with hope. We're going to say that with new bodies. We're going to say that resurrected. How does this spur us on in our lives? Because we know that nothing in this world can defeat the work of Jesus Christ in the resurrection. That's why we know. That's what spurs on the volunteers that I got to meet in Poland. It's what gives hope to the refugee. It's what gives hope to us in the midst of our suffering and our hardships. It's what gives us support to actually be in the moments of joy and happiness and excitement and good celebratory times in this life. Because in the midst of it all, we can say, like verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful today? For the Christian, Easter is a day of thankful victory. 2,000 years ago was our V-Day. 2,000 years ago was our, was our victory day, and we're living in the midst of that. God gives us the same victory Jesus has already experienced. Jesus is offering his victory to you and to me. You know that woman that I mentioned that I met there in Poland earlier? I pray that she finds the same hope in Jesus that I have the hope that can sustain her through these dark days. Man, what a wonderful hope we have in our victory. During the good and the bad, even in seasons when we're exhausted, we never forget Jesus rose from the dead, that he has done it and he promises to do it for us. We will be like him, changed forever. I want to encourage here in the next couple of moments, those that are here this morning who truly believe this to be true. 
who truly believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, I want to encourage you, first and foremost, just like 1 Corinthians tells us in verse 58, to be steadfast. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Press on, move forward. No matter what you experience today or tomorrow or the weeks after, you have a promise of something that is better than today. Even if your today is amazing, it pales in comparison to what Jesus has. Like, so be steadfast. Continue to press forward. You will have an imperishable body to live in a new imperishable earth that is connected to heaven in a way that we can't fathom. So be steadfast. Christian, be immovable. Let nothing push you off the rock and foundation of your hope. When questions come, when fears and doubts come, you go back to this question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Amen. Someone knew it. Like that's the answer, right? When you're in the midst of the darkest moments of your life and you have all the doubts about what God is doing and how he's moving and how he's working and you don't get it and you don't see it, go back to this question. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? And the answer is yes. And since he did, and he's promised that he will be like, that he's going to change us to be like him, there is nothing that should shake you off of your foundation, off of that truth. So church, be steadfast, be immovable, and abound in the work that he has set for you. Whatever you do, prioritize the work of the Lord in that thing. So kiddos, when your mom and dad tells you to clean your room, don't do it for them. Do it for the Lord. Knowing that your work is not going to be for nothing. He sees it and he honors it. Men and women, go to work but work for the Lord, work with integrity, work with passion, work with zeal, whatever you do, because you know that this is not your home. You know that this is not your home. And while you might get and and, and engage and have all kinds of earthly acclaim and wealth and riches, all of that is going to fade. And the only acclaim that matters is the acclaim you gain from the Father. So work for the Lord Don't think it's enough to be part of a service like this once a year. Don't think it's enough to to just come to church once on Easter, and that's good enough. We are to make and take our whole lives and wrap them around the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And we need one another to do that. Because it's hard to live in this life. We need the community of of faith so that we don't get drugged back into the hopeless pursuits of this world. We don't get drugged back into our doubts and into our fears. If you were in Jesus, then because he lives, you can face any trial. Like the old song, because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he's already given you the victory. Because he lives, you can face times of joy. Because he lives, you can face times of sorrow. Because he lives, you can even face death. Because one day, just like Jesus, who was raised bodily from the dead, you too will be able to say, death is swallowed up in his victory. We'll be given new imperishable bodies that death can never threaten again. And so we'll say, death Where is your victory? My victory, and many of you in this room, your victory is in 
Jesus. And he promised to raise me. He promised to raise you. And I look forward to the day where I say, where is the sting of death? Do you? He's removed it. He's removed it from us all. He's given us hope of a life, a real, a full, and physical life on a new earth, in a new heaven, forever with him. This is Easter. This is Resurrection Sunday for all who believe. I want to take a minute to talk, though, for those of you who don't believe. I know some of you are here. You know why I know that some of you are here? Because the scripture tells us that the idea of someone raising from the dead is foolishness to the world. I know how crazy I sound to say that I believe wholeheartedly that a man died and rose again from the direct grave. Like, I get it. And I know some of you are here and you don't believe that Jesus raised. I believe, though, that the blood of the early Christians who undoubtedly declared his death and his resurrection to be true places tremendous evidence upon the fact that Jesus did raise. But here's what I know. In the end, evidence likely won't convince you. Evidence likely won't convince you. There's enough of it historically for us to see that this is a real historical moment. But for you this morning, I simply ask this question. What if there really was a man who claimed to be God? What if there really was a man who was God? Who claimed to take your debt, the debt that you owed God, upon his shoulders upon the cross, and he died for you? What if that really was true? What if he really did defeat death and he really was raised bodily and he's promising to do the same thing for every single person who trusts in him? What if all of that really happened? Imagine what that could mean for you. Imagine what it could mean for your feel and fear of death. Imagine what it could mean for your life now. Imagine for what it could mean for you as you think about and you fear the potential reality of facing God. Imagine the hope and the peace that could be present for you. There's nothing more that I want than for you to see the hope in the resurrected Jesus. Hey, listen, we don't gain any marks on our belt if you come to faith in Jesus. And we don't get anything from that. But you gain everything. And I simply ask this question, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if you don't believe in the resurrection and you find out that it's true? What if you're wrong? By the time you see Jesus face to face, you won't have another chance to trust him. And you will see Jesus face to face. You will. What if you never consider these things? And so my hope for you this morning is that you hear the hope there is in Jesus Christ. I, I pray that you hear the, the joy that is there for those that follow Jesus and that look to Jesus, that we have an unshakable hope and joy. And I hope that you might put your faith in Jesus this morning. So here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to close our, our service with a couple of songs. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to close our, ser- our, our sermon and our time together with celebration. Amen? Can we do that? Because we're here to celebrate the work of Jesus. We're here to exalt Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to stand, and I want you to praise Jesus. I want you to raise your hands. I want you to cry out. I want you to stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to get out in the aisle and dance around, go for it. You can stand right now. Come on. Like, we're going to sing some songs to Christ. And as we do this, we are going to prepare ourselves for an awesome experience where we get to have supper with the Lord. The Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to do that at the end of this. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian this morning and you feel like, man, there's some separation between you and the Lord. Take these next few moments to just confess. Take these next few moments to lay those things before him, but celebrate the hope you have in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you want to meet Jesus, you want to talk to somebody about what that means, like we want to be available during this time. While we're celebrating, we want to acknowledge that you too can celebrate. And so I want to invite pastors and elders and and prayer counselors. Would you guys go ahead and come on down to the front right now and just be available? And listen, there should be no shame in us for coming down and talking to someone about Jesus. Listen, church, there should be no shame for you to raise your hand to the Lord in the next few minutes. There should be no shame It doesn't matter whether you sing like Whitney and Tara or whether you sing like me. And no one wants to hear that, right? Like Jesus does. And so you should sing to him in these next few moments. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks. But praise him as we worship him, as we celebrate the work that he's done and the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And as we prepare for a time of communion with him in a few moments. Lord, go before us in these next few moments. Help us to celebrate. Help us to lift our voices to you. Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a joy for the work that you have done. I pray for that, Father, for any of those that are here this morning. I pray that they hear the love that you have for them. If they don't know you this morning, that they would still hear the love that you have for them, that you died for them. That they might have life, that they might be raised up, just like we saw little Zuri that was giving her life to you, Father. That she now has a hope because of her faith in Jesus that she's going to be raised up like him. And I just pray, Father, that you would help them to have that hope one day. Father, we pray that you would be exalted. Pray that you would be blessed in the next few moments. Ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. 